London, New York, Barcelona. Today from Ireland, you can fly to almost any place. But what if you could fly to any time? If you could experience events that change the world, if you could meet the people who lived through history, would you do it? Welcome to a new series of Time Travels, the programme where we explore the past. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. It could be a bumpy journey. OK, we've landed, and we're a long way from home. It looks like we're in the Valley of Mexico, at the time of the Aztecs. Oh, I'm not finished yet. Why does the curfew always sneak up on me like that? Oh, hey, you better get a move on too. We must all be indoors by 6pm. Tenochtitlan is the capital of the Aztec Empire and the authorities are very strict indeed. It's not safe at night, you see. That's when the dark spirits are at play. He wouldn't want to get caught by them. Of course, a few people do stay awake and keep watch in case of intruders. But the rest of us, home to bed. I mean, it's probably a good thing anyway, as we can all come together in the evening as a family. Our house is nothing special. A small one-room hut with a hearth in the middle, where I make tortillas, and some mats on the floor for us to sleep on. We don't have windows or anything like that, so it's nice and cosy. My husband's a farmer, and honestly, he'd work all the hours in the day if he could. It's up to me to sell his produce, maize mostly. I've been working since I was six years old, like all Aztec children. Parents here believe it's important that young people know that nothing comes for free, and whether it's helping with the household work or at the market, children must be willing to get stuck in. Our children are very precious, of course, but best prepare them for the real world and laziness is very frowned upon. Life is not easy, but we must be grateful for all that we have. You can probably tell that my family and I are not nobles, but there's no point getting envious. They do have a fine time of it though, the nobles. They're the only ones who get to wear the fancy jewellery and to enjoy the best food. <laughs> but as I said, I don't like to complain. Here, can you just hand me that basket over there? Thank you. I always find that I'm never quite finished what I'm doing when the curfew sounds, and then it's a mad rush to get back to the house. My son will hopefully be waiting to collect me in the canoe. Tenochtitlan is surrounded by lakes, so canoes are really the most sensible form of transport. As you can see, there are thousands of canoes here of all sizes. Ours isn't too grand, but it does the job, and we haven't sunk yet. My son is a strong boy of 15 now, and he will have been studying today. All Aztec children go to school, and my son will probably follow in his father's footsteps as a farmer. 
And of course, he'll be expected to do some time in the military. I worry about that, but can only pray that he stays safe. Oh, there he is now. I best be off. Nice to chat to you. Do make sure you get home soon. Remember, dark spirits will be roaming. I think we should find out a bit more about the Aztecs. Ask an expert. My name is Ian Mersel and I work with an educational project called Mexico Law. And uh, it was set up with my wife, Graciela, who's Mexican, uh, back in 1980. And we basically, as a team, go around to primary schools in England uh, running history workshops uh, in, in schools on the Aztecs and also on the Maya. And we have a website that backs this up and uh, it's a free resource on, on the Aztecs and the Maya. So it's, it's something that we've been teaching for many, many years. Who were the Aztecs? Well, the Aztecs began as a very, um, really, uh, just one of seven tribes that left uh, their ancient homeland called Aztlan, uh, which is where the name Aztecs comes from. It means the place of herons. It's somewhere that, that no, one, no one's ever found. Even the Aztecs themselves, when they were uh, uh, established as an empire, they set off missions trying to find this mythical place, to find their homeland, and no one ever found it. Uh, so it was way up in the northwest of, of what is today Mexico. And they, so they began as a very poor wandering tribe, basically a group of nomads, and they set off with other tribes. They left this ancient homeland and they went wandering uh, through, through what is today the country of Mexico. And uh, after many years of wandering... Um, their tribal god, Huitzilopochtli, um, hummingbird of the south, he gave them a signal, basically, and he said, uh, now stop travelling when you find, when you see my sign, which will be an eagle perched on a cactus on a, um, on a rock. And when you see that sign, stop, build your, uh, your city, and then go from there, basically. So they started, so for about 100 years, they were just a poor wandering tribe. Uh, then they settled in one place and started to uh, to uh, make alliances with other tribes and they, went, they, they fought a lot of wars and eventually uh, created a huge empire. What did the Aztecs do for fun? Well, the Aztecs, they played a lot of games. Uh, they, they were pretty competitive. They were gamblers, so they, they, they placed bets on a lot of their games. They played everything from very gentle board games um, there's a game called Patoli, which was played with counters, with beans and, uh, and counters. And uh, it's a bit like Ludo, you went round a circuit. Um, but, it, but they took it very seriously and they, they placed bets on it and people could lose um, their livelihood as, as a result. Um, and then they had far more adventurous activities, like uh, they had competitions like a tall pole um, that you had to... Um, there was a big festival and they danced around the pole and then youngsters uh, took part in the competition to be the first to get to the top of the pole to get the goodies down. 
And uh, Moctezuma II, who's the most famous Aztec emperor, he won the competition one year. It's one of the reasons why he was chosen as emperor. And then they played very athletic ball games uh, that they learnt from previous uh, peoples like the Maya and the Olmec, um, such as the famous Mesoamerican ball game, which you played with your hips with a bouncy rubber ball. You had to try and get it through hoops on, uh, on walls of a ball court. Um, so they played a range of things. I don't think they did anything purely for fun, although th there is some indication that they played um, very gentle things like almost like tiddlywinks and uh, <laughs> uh, marbles and so on. There are paintings in, in some murals that give us clues to that. So, yes, quite a range of fun activities. What did the Aztecs believe in? Well, the Aztecs very much believed in life after death. And they believed that... Um, it, it's quite complicated because the, the Aztecs inherited again a whole religious um, belief system that goes back a long way in Mesoamerica um, where there were 13 heavens and nine underworlds. And where you went after you died uh, depended not really on how you lived your life, but how you died. So if you died a spectacular death, like in in being sacrificed or in war, um, then you went to one of the highest heavens. Um, if you died an ordinary death, uh, you went to a rather boring place <laughs> right down at the very bottom. It was the ninth underworld. It was called Mictlan, which means the place of death, really. And it, was a, it wasn't a hell. It was just, it's just after that, there's nothing. And, um, uh, but they, they always remembered you after your, your death. For five, well, you always remembered relatives who, who had died, of course. But for four years, because they believed it took you four years to get down to the uh, to the, the your final resting place, um, your family would mourn for you. Uh, but after four years, that's it. We can move on now. We've stopped crying. And we won't, we'll never forget. Uh, so these sort of traditions come through today in things like the Day of the Dead, which is a huge Mexican festival, the biggest festival in the Mexican calendar. And it has roots in the Aztecs and, uh, uh, and, and beforehand. So they worshipped a whole range of gods and goddesses, um, they had sort of two types of religion, really. Uh, a public religion where you you celebrated and you performed to, to gods in public places, in hundreds if not thousands of people, uh, dancing and performing uh, uh, and reenacting histories and performing sacrifices, um, all to a whole range of gods. And it depended because they had... Um, before I go on on that, they, they had the other type of religion they had was a private religion where you worshipped um, very much at home in your own house. Every house would have a little uh, altar to the, the fire god, which was the oldest god that they worshipped. And every morning you'd, play, you'd give a little gift to the fire god. And it's important to remember that the Aztecs... Yes, they did do human sacrifices, we, there's no doubt about that, but, although not in the numbers that, uh, that some of the Spanish have claimed. Um, but they, more than human sacrifices, much more common than human sacrifice, was self-sacrifice, where you gave a little bit of yourself to the earth. So every day some, you, you would, um, unless you were a very young child, but uh, you would prick your tongue, for example, with a little cactus or agave spine, a thorn, you just pop it through your tongue and release a couple of drips of blood from the tongue onto the earth. And you might think, well, why on earth do that? Well, you know, the earth gives us gifts every day. So the, the Aztecs believed very, very strongly in keeping things in balance. So you didn't take without giving. And uh, they felt if they gave things to the gods, they'd get something back. So by offering a little gift of yourself, gosh, a couple of drips of blood, it doesn't cost you anything every 
uh, because you, you, your, your body repairs itself, uh, you could give a little gift, a little drink to the earth first thing in the morning. So they did believe they were on a mission to keep the world in balance. All the opposite forces in the world, life and death, male and female, winter and summer, all these sort of things, they believed that it was vital to keep them in balance. What was life like for Aztec children? Aztec children had a pretty tough time, but then life was tough all over the world in, in those days, at that sort of age. Um, the Aztecs were parents, mums and dads were very strict, um, but they were very loving. Um, the, the, the Spanish were super impressed at how well um, Aztec parents brought up their children. Uh, for a start, you couldn't be punished whilst you were still being breastfed by the, by the mother. And that went on for two or three years. So they, the Aztecs believed that whilst you were still being breastfed by your, your mum, you were still connected to the earth and that you weren't really part of the world. So you couldn't be punished. After that, once you'd gone on to solid foods, then, OK, you, were, you could be punished. But they usually gave you warnings. Um, and they had two different types of school. At least everyone went to school in Aztec times, both boys and girls, which is very impressive. For, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of years ago, something that didn't happen in, 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 in this part of the world till far, far later. Um, so you went to school. If you went to a, a posh school, you were expected to be very, very, to know your, uh, to know your duties and everything. And so they, they, there the punishments were much stricter. If you went to an ordinary school like, like you and I would go to probably, um, then at least they gave you a warning before they punished you. But they were very firm, very strict with their punishments. But uh, kids grew up to, to work from a very young age, uh, from sort of three, four, five, you were starting to help carry water and uh, clean the house and so on. Aztecs called a child, a baby, uh, a, a jewel, a jade, something very, very precious. So there's no doubt that they looked after their children very, very well. Um, but they were firm. They believed that life is tough, and the sooner you realise that, uh, the better you'll get on uh, in, in life. So, um, yeah, a mixed bag of things. What can we learn from the Aztecs? Well, I think one of the best things the Aztecs could teach us um, is how to look at our world um, in terms of uh, the balance in our world. The, the, it, to be honest, if any asset person turned up today into our world, they say, what on earth have you done to our world? It's got terribly, terribly out of balance. Um, and so I think any Aztec mum or dad uh, would say to any youngster now, now, for heaven's sake, get this world into balance and keep it in balance. And there's no reason why it can't go on and on for, forever. I mean, they were a bit a bit paranoid about it. They, they believed that um, when the sun go, God goes down at the end of the day, he, he, he dies and then is born again the next morning uh, and so on. They took all these things very, very seriously. But they were passionate, truly passionate about um, trying to keep their world in balance um, so I think that's that's probably one of the best things we could we could learn from them they've given us plenty of things um, but in terms of how to run our lives I, I think that's probably the best message why aren't the Aztecs around anymore well Funny enough, the Aztecs are still around. There aren't many people who, who claim to be sort of pure-blooded Aztec, but, but most Mexicans today are a mixture. It's what, what's called mestizo. It's a, it's a mixed blood. So Graciela, my wife, is a mixture of uh, Spanish and Aztec blood, basically. 
Uh, and um, so many, many, many of the traditions that go back to Aztec times still go on today. I mean, the foods haven't changed, the the clothes uh, that people wear, the traditions, the Day of the Dead, uh, uh, some of the festivals. Some some Aztec gods are still worshipped today, but in a different disguise. So they had many gods to do with nature, with rain, with fire, with the earth and so on. And um, those gods uh, in many parts of Mexico still worship today, just perhaps with a different name. Um, so they are around uh, the Aztec language. More people speak the Aztec language today uh, than speak Welsh in Wales. I mean, about two million people still speak the Aztec language. It's a living language. So it's not really right to say that they've gone. They haven't. They're, they're very much around. But in, in a, uh, Mexico is a wonderful melting pot of peoples. So, no, they're still alive, really. Did you know that if an Aztec slave managed to escape his master and make it all the way to the royal palace without being caught, he was granted his freedom? Weird, but true. Here in London, Ian Mercer from Mexico Lore has some things to show us. Well, we've got here, we've got here a couple of examples of their copies of Aztec musical instruments. They're both the same type of drum. The, the Aztecs played a whole range of uh, musical instruments in their festivals, in their festivities, um, they, but they only played wind instruments and percussion instruments. Stringed instruments came later with the, with the Spanish. So they believed that musical instruments, particularly two types of drum, uh, had come down to earth in the form of, of, of drums. I mean, they were gods, basically, originally. So the two most important drums that they had were horizontal drums and vertical drums. It's a pair of opposites. And here we've got a couple of examples of the horizontal drums. They were called teponaslis. There are three, actually, in the, in the British Museum that you can, you, can, uh, you can go and have a look at. We would call them log drums or tongue drums or slit drums. They're made of a, one piece of, of wood. It's a log, basically. They're hollowed underneath. They've got lovely carvings on the face and the sides and so on. And cut in, in the top are two tongues cut into the wood. And they're both exactly the same length. Um, but with a simple beater, just to stick with some rubber from the rubber tree on it, uh, they could get two different notes. And, of course, the trick is to make one of the tongues a bit thinner than the other. So uh, if you make one tongue thinner than the other, if you listen, you hopefully you get two different notes. And the other one is... Uh, the trouble is they don't like uh, the weather in this country, so... Unfortunately, the wood is warping on those, so they've moved a bit off the centre. So these drums, the, the origin of this drum, it goes back even older uh, to tortoiseshell drums that uh, if, you, if you tickle a tortoise upside down, um, you should get two different sounds out of the shell because it's got the thinner side and a, a thinner end and a thicker end, one for the head, one for the tail. And uh, it's, they used to play those drums, uh, the, the Aztecs and the Maya and other ancient Mesoamericans. So uh, that tortoiseshell drum is the ancestor of these two-tone tongue drums. The carvings on them tell us stories. On this one over here, we've got eagle and jaguar warriors, which were the two highest ranks in the Aztec army. So 
Um, these drums, when the Aztecs played music, they said, we're crying to the gods. So music was a performance. You you did it as part of a, a festival where you very much sort of acted out um, stories from the ancient painted books of the Aztecs, um, bringing history to life, their own history, really. Around the 15th century, Europeans began to see that there was much to be gained from venturing to the New World, the place that we know today as North and South America. And one of these European explorers was a man called Hernán Cortés. Hernán Cortés was born in Medellín, in the Kingdom of Castile in Spain in 1485. His father was an officer in the Spanish army and Cortés's family hoped that he would become a lawyer. Cortés spent some time studying, but the law was not his dream. What he really wanted was to follow in the footsteps of Christopher Columbus and others who had travelled to the New World. When he was 19 years old, Cortés had a chance to join an expedition to Cuba, led by an explorer called Velázquez. Velázquez became governor there and Cortés became wealthy and successful. But he still longed for adventure and in 1518 he led an expedition to Mexico with 11 ships, around 500 men and some horses. Cortés was determined to establish a colony and when they arrived on shore, he destroyed his own ships so that there would be no turning back. He had heard that the Aztec Empire had lots of gold and nothing was going to stop him from conquering it. The capital of the Aztec Empire was a spectacular island city called Tenochtitlan. And this is where the ruler Montezuma II lived. Cortés set off for Tenochtitlan, bringing with him a native woman called Donna Marina who could speak the language of the Aztecs and the Mayans. She would act as an interpreter for him on the way. When Cortés reached the city, the ruler Montezuma welcomed him and offered him gifts. Some say that Montezuma may have even believed that Cortés was a god and that his arrival had been prophesied. But Cortés was not to be trusted. He took Montezuma prisoner and the leader was later killed during protests in the city. In 1520, the Aztecs expelled the Spanish from Tenochtitlan, but the Spanish laid siege to the city. The Spanish had cannons, but they also had another deadly weapon. They brought foreign diseases, such as the measles and smallpox, which the Aztecs had never been exposed to before. Along with some other people who did not like the Aztecs, the Spanish forces attacked and in a fierce battle they killed thousands of people and destroyed Tenochtitlan. Great cruelties were inflicted upon the Aztecs and they were defeated by the Spanish forces. Cortés renamed the city of Tenochtitlan as Mexico City and he was made governor of the land by King Charles I of Spain. Cortés continued to explore 
and later he travelled west, where he discovered and named California. He retired to his estate in Seville in Spain and died on the 2nd of December 1547. Home sweet home, and the airport is just as busy as ever. And like I said, you can fly to almost anywhere or any time. So, where do you want to go next? This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.